0: We meet our driver, and his nickname is Sleepy. Oh, boy. That's Spinal Tap's bus driver. (laughs) Cut to the x-ray vision through the side of the bus. It's everyone in Spinal Tap in their bunks, wide open eyes with this sleepy guy. Anyway, we finish the whole tour, and he's letting everybody off the bus and goes, I just want to say something here. I've never done a tour where the band didn't play the movie Spinal Tap. (laughs)
1: Hello,
2: Cleveland! Turn your speakers up to 11 because it's time for Too Much Epic Perspective, the podcast that asks musicians and entertainers to relive their most spinal tap moments when nothing seems to go right and everything gets kind of weird. I'm your host, Alan Keller, a comedy writer in L.A. and lead singer of the least heralded Chicago band, The Falling Walendas.
3: And I'm your co-host, Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead and lead singer of the least heralded Milwaukee band, the Glorious.
2: Our guest today is CJ Vanston, composer on all of Christopher Guest's movies, as well as musical director and producer for the band Spinal Tap, yes, that band.
3: We're going to talk to CJ about how Bruce Springsteen caused Michael McKeon to miss seeing the real Stonehenge, why Jeff Beck thinks CJ is literally a giant, and who in Guns N' Roses cut Spinal Tap's amp cables in front of 90,000 people at Wembley Stadium. So without further ado,
2: let's go to the T.M.E.P.
1: show. It really puts perspective on things, doesn't it? Not really? too much. There's too much I think, perspective now.
2: Alex, in every band, there are unsung heroes. Guys who are integral to their signature sound, but may not get as much credit as the leads. As Aristotle said, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And we all know what great bands came out of Athens. R.E.M. of Montreal, the B-52s, Drive-By Truckers. That's Athens, Georgia, Alan. Oh, they're different? (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah,
3: actually they are. But your point is well taken. Everybody knows who Bono and The Edge from U2 are. But I think many casual fans would have trouble naming bassist Adam Clayton or drummer Larry Mullen Jr., even though they share music credits equally with their more famous bandmates. Today, we're going to chat with a great musician who you could say was the fourth member of the band Spinal Tap, C.J. Vanston.
2: CJ is a guy few people know, but who David, Nigel, and Derek probably couldn't live without. I also think he's going to play a huge role in the recently announced sequel, Spinal Tap 2, which we are extremely excited about.
3: Extremely. And look, C.J.'s also played and recorded with other great people like Prince and Joe Cocker.
2: But his main gig for a quarter century has been Spinal Tap, even though he's relatively unknown. A fact we're going to rectify today. I hope so. And honestly, Alex, although I'm really the voice of this podcast, everyone says that on social, I want our listeners to know that your contribution is valuable as well, albeit less valuable than mine.
3: That's all three of our followers on social have said that? Well, two out of three. At least a majority. The majority. Got that. All right. Anyway, Alan, seriously, that statement shows very little perspective as well as no self-awareness and you hurt my feelings. But we don't have time to get into it right now.
2: All right, then. Let's go to my TMEP show and my conversation with CJ Vanston. Mm.
3: And not a moment too soon. But first, listeners, please take a minute to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at TMEP show. There you'll find fun artwork that we post for each episode, Spinal Tap Moment Fun Facts, and lots of useful stuff like that. Again, that's at T-M-E-P show. Now, get comfortable. We'll be right back after a short break.
4: Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metal head or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious podcast.
1: Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of
4: that podcast? Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind podcast.
2: And now, a musician who Prince said played the Hammond B3 organ better than anyone since Sly Stone, CJ Vanston. CJ, thank you so much for being here. This is a real thrill to have someone who's on the inside of the Spinal Tap world. I mean, you're basically the fifth Beatle of Spinal Tap, but there are only three members of Spinal Tap, so you're basically the fourth Beatle, which would make you Ringo, and you're a keyboard player, so that doesn't make any sense. Anyway... (laughs) <laughs> your connection to Spinal Tap happened in a very circuitous way, and it stemmed from a famous rock star trying to deprive you of your facial hair. Can you give us that story?
0: Well, so I moved to LA. I was a very successful uh, jingle career in Chicago for like eight years there, doing thousands of jingles, and got pretty good at it. And I thought, you know what, I didn't work this hard as a keyboard player and synth guy to make the sound of shrimp flying at Red Lobster. So maybe there's another (laughs) career path for me. So I came out to LA and the first project I worked on, there was a producer in Chicago, not a producer, the producer, his name was Dick Marks. And his son was Richard. And I'd known Richard since he was 15. Richard had made a successful record, was making the second one. Dick said, you got to use CJ on on a song. And he says, Dad, I'm here in LA. There's a hundred keyboard players out here. Why should I be using this jingle guy? Well, he at least met with me and he played me a song and he says, this isn't even going to go on the record, but do it and I'll have something to put in a film someday. And I heard it and I go, don't give this to anyone else. And it ended up being Right Here Waiting, which is one of the biggest songs of the entire 80s. That was my demo, basically. What a way to open up here. And I started getting phone calls left and right. So I got called for some artist to do a showcase at the Roxy. The sound guy walked up and said, my boss would would love you. Where the hell did you come from? I said, I just moved here from Chicago. What's your boss's name? Don Henley. Huh. And of course, Don Henley was a
3: founding member of the Eagles, where he played drums and sang some of their best-known songs, including Hotel California and Desperado Mm -hmm. And then went on to have a successful solo career,
0: including one of my favorite hits of the 80s, (laughs) and I'm not even joking, The Boys of Summer. He had just done the End of of the Innocence record, Mm
1: -hmm. which
0: had the Bruce Hornsby tune on it. Anyway, so I get a call to audition for Don Henley. I know I'm going to get the gig. Well, there's like 40 guys auditioning. So I go in and I ace these two songs. I played in church when I was a kid, so that Hornsby stuff is like natural to me. And they called me and they said, you've got the gig. But Don has one uh, requirement for you playing with him. You have to shave the beard. And I go, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I like Mr. <laughs> Henley. That's great. But, you know, if I wake up someday, I decide to shave my beard, I'll shave my beard. But certainly not going to shave it because your artist wants me to shave my beard. And yeah, well, that's a prerequisite to the job. And I said, well, I'm not shaving my beard. So just call me back when you want me to show up at rehearsal, click. <laughs> I figured they're going to call back. It was a bluff. They never called back. This other guy got the gig, super talented guy. And I thought my career is over. It's done. You must love your beard. No, but I tell kids all the time, it was my intuition. If he's going to have me shave my beard, what else is he going to ask me to do? What else are you going to have to right? shave? Right, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... uh <laughs> a couple of weeks later, Katie Segal from Married with Children is at a party and she's a great singer and she's putting a band together and she says to Don Henley at the party, hey, I've lost my keyboard player and musical director. Do you know anybody good? And he goes, I know a guy that's great, but he's got an ugly fucking beard. <laughs> and that's me. So Katie calls me to be in her band and she gives me this cassette of 12 tunes. And can you write charts for these? Well, I not only did that, I demoed the songs top to bottom. And she said, you know, the first rehearsal, I'm sending over my drummer so you guys can work together. The door opens at my office at Sunset Sound, and it's Russ fucking Kunkel. Wow. You know, <laughs> legend of legend of legends. Wow, nice to meet you. So we sat down, I gave him a chart, and I hit play, and he goes, stop. What, what am I listening to here? And I said, well, that's the demo. I, I know, but, but who, who did this? I said, well, I did. I know, but so who's playing bass? I said, well, that's me on keyboards. Well, who's the drummer? I said, I programmed it. Who did? I said, Russ, I did everything. He goes, who wrote these charts? I said, I did. He goes, okay, that's it. I've got two guys I want to introduce you to. One was Greg Ladani, who produced and mixed the Don Henley Building the Perfect Beast record, Toto Four, Fleetwood Mac, Jackson Brown, all that. And he introduced me to Greg, who ended up becoming my best friend. We probably did 40 records together after that. And the other guy he introduced me to, Christopher Guest.
2: Oh, that makes a lot of sense, because Kunkel, who is a legendary session guy, is one of the drummers in Spinal Tap. That's exactly right. Stumpy Joe, isn't he? Stumpy Joe, right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. right. Oh, my God. And he says,
0: look, because I got the gig from hell. And I thought, fuck, it's got to be Michael Jackson. So I called him. (laughs) No, it's better than that. Spinal Tap. And I was like, oh, (laughs) this is awesome. So I decided... No other keyboard player is ever going to play with this band after this night. So I sampled the Devil Laugh. I've got the sound of the volcano and the skeleton and the smoke. I've doubled all the guitar parts. Well, we played this gig, and these guys got such a kick out of it. They said, you know what? Let's keep playing some gigs. So we played some more gigs, and they said, let's make a record. And that was Break Like the Wind. So that became a thing. And then we put a tour together in 92. That was, you know, extravaganza galore. So afterwards, uh, Chris was talking to me and he said, hey, I'm doing an HBO movie. And I said, wait a minute, who's doing the music? Why do you do that? I'm like, dude, you're kidding me. Of course, I'd never done any (laughs) film or TV music. (laughs) But everything I play through my years, everyone said, that sounds so cinematic. So I knew I could do it. Well, I did all this music and Jeff Beck, uh, I go way back with Jeff Beck. So I wrote this score for orchestra and Jeff Beck. And I didn't get the gig because I didn't have a big enough name. So Chris said he felt so bad. I'm really, really sorry. But next time I do it, I'll make sure you're on it. And uh, he called me about a year later. And he goes, I'm doing this thing down in Austin. I don't even know what it's going to be. Will you work with a crew of people that I put together? And I said, well, who's the crew? Well, you know, it's Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Fred Willard. Wow. And I was an SCTV freak. Are you kidding? (laughs) That's how the beard led to waiting for government.
3: That's incredible.
0: The insistence on not shaving your beard. Had you shaved, totally different story, totally different trajectory. And I talk to kids a lot and I always tell them, you know, you got to stick to your guns and believe in yourself and follow your intuition. Because, boy, that would have been a different world. And the Don Hanlieb tour... I guess these guys would get notes at 2 in the morning under the hotel room door, you know, measure 36, you didn't play this right, measure 47. You know, Don's a real stickler for everything. He's got to be the same every night. Last guy I would ever want to work for. God bless him. He's a genius. But the thing of him wanting to shave my beard showed what a control freak he is, you know. And that's why he's so good at what he does, but it doesn't fit my MO. And so my intuition kind of got me off the hook there.
2: Well, I think you'll appreciate this story. I've told it before, but you know I have several friends, as you do, who played with Brian Wilson, right? Mm-hmm. And they told me that at a gig at Madison Square Garden, Don Henley brought an album up to Brian. <laughs> do you know this story? Yes. And he had, so he asked Brian to sign the album, and Brian signed, to a great songwriter, Brian Wilson. And he gives it back to Don Henley. And before Don Henley could leave, Brian had second thoughts, and he grabbed it back, and he crossed out great and wrote good. <laughs> Can you imagine to Don great, Henley? I'm sorry. Good. Oh, yeah, it's, right. It's so perfect. So perfect for him, right? Of anyone who's not going to be able to tolerate that, it would be Don Henley. Unbel- it's so poetic. And the other one I heard
0: was Bono got to meet him. They did something and Bono walked up, you know, like basically on his knees, like he's meeting the Pope. You've been such an influence on me, you know. I ha- hail you. And if you ever need anything, I'd do anything for you. And Brian's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, could you give me a Pepsi? <laughs>
2: There are so many Unbelievable stories Like I guess uh, They were on tour With Paul Simon And you know Paul Simon's Kind of curmudgeonly And it was Brian's birthday right And I guess Paul walks out there With a birthday cake Lit with candles And just stands there And Brian doesn't Even notice he's there (laughs) Or like ever And then by the time He looks at him He goes Everyone knew That when he saw Paul Simon He didn't know Who he was (laughs) That he didn't Recognize him
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah, just set that right there. All right. Thank uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that's that's funny. Brian uh, is disarming. He isn't trying to be anybody. He's fucking Brian Wilson.
3: Talking about Spinal Tap, you mentioned, I think it was in 92, that you did a world tour. Yep. I mean, we're just dying to hear a few of your Spinal Tap moment stories from being on the road with Spinal
0: Tap. This doesn't get any bigger scale than this one. You know, we actually did have a Hello Cleveland, couldn't find the stage. It actually happened. And I was going Hello Cleveland and they weren't happy. They weren't into it. (laughs) And it wasn't the moment for them that it was for me, but I was loving it. There's been a ton of moments like that, but there's none of this scale. So, 92, in the midst of that tour, we went over, we played Royal Albert Hall, and it coincided with the Freddie Mercury tribute. Giant concert at Wembley Stadium, 90,000 people, and simulcast to half a billion, okay? And there's Guns N' Roses, and there's Queen, and there's Cindy Crawford as the host, David Bowie. I could keep going. It's so overwhelming. Metallica. So we came out to 90,000 people and they were dressed as like they had the king outfit with a hat and with the with the train, the long train behind them with these kind of beef eater supermodels carrying the trains while I played pictures at an exhibition. Masorski. They came out and I finished the last note. The capes come off. The girls hand them the guitars. And Nigel opens the song. do 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 drums do 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 and we're off and going and chris goes and he's strumming no sounds coming out and he turns and looks at me and he goes i have nothing i said oh don't fuck with me right now do do not like you're kidding and i saw the blood actually drain from his his face and chris is a very cool cucumber so i knew something's wrong and all of a sudden Here comes the back line, guys. Here comes the roadies, jumping over the whatevers and running on stage. There must have been 10 guys. Nobody has guitars. Oh, no. Derek doesn't have his bass. Michael's guitar is not working. Nobody's guitars are working. And they're running around, and we're standing there (laughs) with nothing to do in front of half a billion people, simulcast, and 90,000 people. We're
5: still waiting to power up our lead guitar player. I want you all to embrace now, but do it safely. That's good. Now you've got to be facing one another. Yeah, that's better. So this bloke walks into a bar.
0: And it feels like no. 40 minutes, of course, when you're standing <laughs> no, no, up there. No, I think it ended one. up being, I think it was two minutes and 40 seconds or something like that, but it's an eternity when you're up there. But of course, when you're with Spinal Tap, you can do no wrong. The audience thinks it's part of the thing (laughs) right (laughs) part of the act and they start going it's awesome tap 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 (laughs) tap 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 and the more roadies running around the more they love it they're cheering so finally they plug him in do 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 we find out later slash thought it'd be funny if he tips somebody in the road crew to clip all the speaker cables oh my goodness that was his little practical joke that's what i heard i can't completely corroborated
2: that's never been verified
0: that's slash. well it may have been with an eyebrow put it that way and okay here's another one so we played glastonbury and i think mm-hmm. that was 176,000 people and uh total mud fest out there they gave us big wellington boots to wear it was crazy and we got done and we had our little sprinter van to go back to london And the driver says, you know, the roads are very very crowded. Do you mind if I take the back way? We're like, no, no. (laughs) So we take the back way. It just rained. And it's these verdant green hills with sheep. And it's just beautiful driving back. And David St. Hubbins, or Michael, decided to stay because he wanted to see Springsteen. So it's just me and Chris and Harry, Harry's wife in the van. And we're driving. Everybody's buried in their iPhones at this point. And all of a sudden, I look on the hill and I go... Guys, 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 look on the hill. It's Stonehenge. Chris goes, I grew up here. That's a replica. I said, that's fucking Stonehenge up on the hill. That's Stonehenge. Chris is like, I grew up in London, CJ. That's a replica. That's not it. And finally, I said, turn this fucking van around right now and drive up there and prove me wrong. So the van drives up the hill and there's a gate that says, welcome to Stonehenge. It was the real Stonehenge. So we pull up and nobody's there. It's like 5.05. I run down to the ticket office. I said, five tickets right now. Oh, I'm very sorry. We just closed just a minute ago. And I'm like, (laughs) Sam Kennison. I said, you see those two guys behind me? You wonder why your gift shop sells so many goddamn choshkis? That's because of them. Open the goddamn velvet rope now.
1: (laughs) So sure enough.
0: She takes us in there and she goes, you know, you can look at them for a few minutes, but you can't go behind the velvet ropes. I go, come here, come here. you weren't listening to me before. <laughs> this is Spinal Tap. <laughs> and she opened the velvet ropes and next thing you know, we're hugging Stonehenge as Spinal Tap. It was hard to believe it was happening. So, we drove back and everybody was like, that was the most amazing experience. And we pull up the hotel and all of a sudden, somebody goes, who's going to tell Michael? <laughs> I don't think he talked for a week. He was so (laughs) bummed. Anyway, that's kind of Tappian, you know. That is beautiful. That's classic.
2: Yeah. But, you know, I mean, think about it this way. For Michael's sake, thousands of years from now, they'll be coming to the Stonehenge Pony to honor (laughs) Springsteen, the monument. Of course they will, because he's the boss. He's the boss. Come on. He's the boss.
3: Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.
5: Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings.
3: Did you know that at the end of each episode, we close with an original song from either Alan or me? It's true. So keep listening to hear one from my old band that kind of sort of relates to the theme of this conversation.
2: Now, back to the show. There isn't anyone we're going to have on this show who knows the guys in Spinal Tap like you do, CJ. I mean, you've been on tour with them, on stage, in the studio. Can you tell us what Christopher Guest... Michael McKeon, and Harry Shearer are like?
0: I'm doing Chris right now.
2: Yeah, right. He's a very stoic guy, isn't he? Until he utters three words that just flattens
0: everybody. Nobody funnier, nobody funnier. And one of the biggest hearts, just a sweetheart. But yes, you know, he doesn't suffer fools, I would put it that way. He's a man of... Few words in kind of the public setting, but when he says something, you know, people listen. That's why he's such a good director. I mean, on the set, there's, you know, 100 people running around and all of a sudden you just hear him go, people? And it's silence, you know? <laughs> Michael is one of the most intelligent and well-read guys I've ever met in my life. He should be the host of Jeopardy. He's uh, He's amazing. Uh, Harry, he's the one with the biggest heart. He's so sweet. He's the most jovial, I think. And uh, here's the thing. When they walk on stage, the three of them, the audience is like they're seeing the scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Lion live in front of them. It's that powerful. The looks on their faces is is just this awestruck. It's like seeing a cartoon character come alive in front of you. Uh, but we played Carnegie Hall and this is before Mighty Wind came out. Our opening act was The Folksman. Really? And
3: let's remind our listeners, The Folksmen are basically the folk music alter ego of Spinal Tap, right? It's the same guys with different outfits and songs, but similarly tongue-in-cheek. And they're the subject of another classic music mockumentary that you just mentioned, CJ, A Mighty Wind.
0: Mm-hmm. So, the folksmen came out in their striped shirts and their bald wigs and the whole thing started, start me up, start me up. I'll never never stop again. You make a dead man come, come. You make a dead man come, come. And the audience is so pissed off, they don't know who they are. They're wadding up their programs and throwing them at them at Carnegie Hall. They're they're booing, they're making noise, Uh. whatever. And all of a sudden, like someone lit a match, someone says, wait a minute that's them. And it started spreading like wildfire.
2: Oh, my goodness.
0: Fucking unbelievable. One of the most powerful Uh. things I've ever seen in life until we took an hour intermission or 45 minutes for them to get remade up. And we come out as Spinal Tap. And first of all, we broke the all-time beer sales records at Carnegie Hall. (laughs) Perfect. And nobody sold more panties than we did at Carnegie Hall. So I think we played over two hours. Not one person ever sat down. I've never seen that in all my travels with Tina Turner and Tears for Fears and Joe Cocker, you know, great artists. But they eventually sit down after the second song or maybe the third. They never sat down.
3: That is so much fun. And you know what's interesting, CJ, is that another guest of ours on the podcast, sticks drummer Todd Suckerman, who used to play with Alan, in The Falling Lenders, and as you know, because you're the one who set it up, also played some late night TV shows with Tap, said the same thing about seeing these characters come to life. He literally said, it's like, there they are, there's Spinal Tap, holy smokes. you know, Right like this, in front of oh. us. Yeah, exactly.
2: Okay, how big of a difference is there between Christopher, David, and Harry and the characters they play in the band? When the guys get into
0: their mode. It gives them license to kind of be those guys from the movie. Dim, don't quite get it, but also maybe a little rude.
2: That reminds me of the story you told me about the time you introduced Todd to Harry at The Tonight Show.
0: Greg Bissonette was our usual drummer, and he was out on the road, and I said, man, I've got a guy for you. This guy's amazing. So Todd came in, of course, ready to play. We're about to rehearse on the set of Leno, so I said, Derek, let's go around and meet the drummer. Todd's really thrilled to meet <laughs> Derek Smalls. And he, I said, this is a dear friend of mine, Todd Zuckerman. He plays with the band Sticks." And Harry goes, oh, our farm team.
2: That's absolutely <laughs> great.
0: Well, I wanted to ask, we know David, Derek, and Nigel. What's your onstage persona? I didn't really have one. You know, it's it's interesting. If Chris said something at the, be- the beginning. He goes, I think it's the David Bowie in the really nice suit, completely opposite of what we do. And I didn't see it, you know, I had the kind of chaps with the spandex with the Seinfeld shirt with the pirate makeup, you know, I did that kind of thing. And in retrospect, the suit would have suited me better. But it kind of didn't matter because people did not give a shit about me. Nobody's looking at me. You know, even during my solos, they're still watching Chris walk around, you know.
5: Uh,
0: (laughs) My persona was a giant piece of sound up there, doubling the guitars, doubling backgrounds with vocorders, just making the band sound gigantic. And that made them feel great. And they're all really great musicians, by the way, and musicologists. Their music history knowledge is insane. I'm reading a book on Buster Keaton right now. And they're from a time when you have to sing, dance, and act. And those guys really are the last bastion of that.
2: Wow, I didn't know they were that old. They knew Buster (laughs) Keaton. I know, they don't look it, do they? (laughs) No, not at all. But Todd also said to us, he goes, you know, they really care about what they're playing and how they're playing. It's not a joke to them. They are doing their best. Well, almost too much,
0: actually. Because I kept saying, guys, the music sounds great. But when you guys talk in between tunes, when those guys start riffing, they're so good at waiting for the other guy and it's just magic. Do more of that. And they're like, eh, we like playing.
2: Isn't that interesting? (laughs)
0: They really love to play music. And that's why those songs are so fucking good.
3: In This Is Spinal Tap, one of the most classic wobblers is Nigel, right? In the dressing room, having a fit about the fact that on the deli tray, the, <laughs> uh, the cold cuts don't fit on the bread. And that really throws him off. And Ian, their manager, Ian Faith, has to say, all right, don't let that affect your performance. <laughs> and Nigel's response is, you know, I won't. I'm a professional. As a tour manager, I've actually saw things that weren't too far off from that. So anyway, what about those guys?
0: Well, uh, it's a wobbler in a different sense. So we're playing Philadelphia. And for some reason, our dressing room is the boys' locker room of whatever this place we're playing. It's just this giant room in this boys' locker room. And there's a deli tray. And so Chris and I are standing at the deli tray, and he's eating grapes. And there's McKean. It's got to be 25 feet away on the other side of the room, changing... But he has no pants on and he's wearing the traditional old jock strap. Like, who wears those anymore with the two straps, right? <laughs> and Chris gives me the look, the forlorn, kind of a Buster Keaton look, pulls the grape out of his mouth. And while he's staring at me, not looking at Michael, he whips it. And you hear, a, and we both look, and fucking hits McKean. Between the butt cheeks, the grape is still stuck and McKean feels it. He's got his back to us and he does the slow Jack Benny turnaround, you know, with the deadpan look. He just does the slow turnaround with the grape still in between his butt cheeks. Just, it doesn't get any better, you know. And the stuff, by the way, that really makes them laugh for some reason is my 13-year-old fart jokes, you know. Not the heady stuff, it's the real... Well,
2: they've been friends forever, right? McKean and Guest, and they were in a band together in the 60s. Mm -hmm. With Arlo Guthrie. Really? Really? Yeah. So do they have a noticeable ESP comically? Totally. It's ridiculous. All three of them do.
0: It's just insane. You just can't write it. You can't breed it. You can't get three people together to do it. It's a treasure. It's like the Three Stooges, you know, but on another level.
3: would love to hear some stories of some of the folks that you've worked with in different
0: capacities. You worked with Prince in some way, but we don't know how. Could you tell us about that? <laughs> it was all online. Prince had done a song he produced for this artist Martika, and he wasn't happy with the way it came out. I got a call from Bobby Columbia from Sony, and he said, Hey, I got this track that Prince had produced. You want to take a crack? And I said, Hell, yeah. So I did this really spacey, dreamy, Bjorky strings, and I did an ending. That went for two minutes. Prince flipped over it and they said, That's the guy. Let's send him another track. I got an email from Prince, like, Yeah, can you play B3? It's like, Can I bleep B3? Yeah, that's one of my specialties. That's playing with Cocker all those years and everything. So uh it was another song called Martika's Kitchen on the same record. And I played B3 on that. They sent the tracks to Prince, and I got an email from him saying, Hey, brother. That's the best organ I've heard since Sly and the Family Stone. Whoa. And that was the extent of our relationship, that was it. Well, you mentioned this Jeff Beck story that you said was too long to tell. Oh, (laughs) man. Okay, 81, I'm in a rock band called Trillion in Chicago. And we get called to open for Jeff Beck on the There and Back tour. And that was one of his best records after Blow by Blow. And it was a huge crowd. It was an indoor basketball arena, you know, like Staples Center size, huge. So this was one of the biggest plays I've ever played. So we did our set and there's Jeff Beck standing on the side of the stage. Oh my God, amazing. I tried to play really well. So we finish our set. We get some folding chairs and sit at the front of house console and the lights go down and the thing starts off with the Jan Hammer sequence song they start with. And oh my God, it was incredible. Now here's Jeff Beck standing up there, bathing in blue light, playing amazing, and they do five or six songs, and I've got the world's worst bladder, and I've got to pee. I've got to pee. I've got. Pee. I've got to, I can't pee while Jeff's playing. Oh, and I'm holding it. Simon Phillips is on drums, and all of a sudden, like magic, drum solo. <laughs> no offense, Simon. What a perfect time to take a pee. So went back to my dressing room, took a leak, came back, and behind the speakers. So now I'm behind the speakers that are separating me from the crowd. So you can't see where I'm at. There's a cooler. And the drums are, this has been going the whole time. I grab a beer, I lean back to take a sip, and there behind the speakers on a ledge, 10 feet above me, is fucking Jeff Beck right right there, right above my head. And he can't see me, he's smoking a cigarette, and he looks like James Bond. He's just so cool. And he's just smoking a cigarette. All of a sudden, he takes a cigarette, throws it down, goes to step on it to put it out, there's no floor there. He falls to the cement shit. in front of me, almost hits me. And it, it's so loud. And I'm over, Jeff Beck's riding in pain on the cement floor. I walked over and said, Mr. Beck, Mr. Sir, Sir Beck, Mr. Sir Beck, are you okay, sir? And he rolls over and it, he looks like he's been drinking, right? And his pants are ripped from the crotch all the way down to the knee, completely ripped open. Oh, and he's God. got his underwear underneath and he's like jiffy popping, you know, everything's hanging out there. And so I go, I go, are you okay? He goes, I ripped my fucking pants. I ripped my fucking pants. And I go, are you okay to get up? Yeah, I'm fine. So I pick him up with all my strength and I'm rock skinny guy, right? Always have been. I get him up and his pants are fucking hanging. They're ripped apart. I get him up. I got my armor on his waist and is my hands holding his arm around my neck to hold him up and the minute I get him up, I go, he's exactly my size. So now I start taking him around the back of the stage. The roadies are now looking for Jeff. They come running. They think I've beat him <laughs> up or i am kidnapping or something. I go, no, no. He goes, no, it's okay. It's like okay. I said, tell Simon to stretch the drum. So they tell the drum roadie and he's doing that pull the rubber band, you know, thing. And Simon gets like this proud look. At him. Oh, really? <laughs> now he really starts playing. So now I've got Jeff Beck around my arm, taking him back in the dressing room and I've got a wardrobe trunk. So I go in the wardrobe trunk. I pull a pair of purple pants out and I hand it to him. And I hear, I ain't wearing no fucking purple pants. And I'm like, well, aren't we the beggar trying to be the chooser? Look at you. Wow. And he gets him back. And then when he gets him back, I see he's standing with, he's got the same skinny legs I got, but the underwear he's got, it looks like. He's had them since he was 13. Like the leg holes are three times the size of his legs, and they're like brown BVDs, like the worst underwear. It's like, oh no, I didn't need to see that. Oh. So I reach inside my wardrobe trunk and I go, fuck, I got a pair of black pants. He puts them on and they fit perfect. And he turns around and he goes, what's your name? I said, CJ. He goes, he goes, how do they look? And he turns around like, does my ass look fat in these pants? He does the thing. like <laughs> Jeff Beck's like, and by the way, <laughs> it has been going for like eight minutes now. So he zips him up and now the roadies take him out and they take him down the hallway. And I'm putting my pants away. And I hear, and all of a sudden I just stop and I go, Jeff Beck is playing fucking guitar in my fucking Pants right now. Oh, my God. I can't wait to tell the band. So I go running out. I go behind the speaker, go around the speaker, run up to the front of the house console. And there's the band sitting there. And one of the guys looks up and he goes, where the fuck did you go, man? You just missed the greatest drum solo of all time. (laughs) And I go, guys, I got a little bit of a story for you. He's wearing my fucking pants right now. And so Jeff, too bad you didn't have a pair of underwear too. <laughs> oh man, I've got those pants somewhere. And so Jeff threw a party for me afterwards because I saved oh. the day. And wow, we ran into him at the Wembley thing with the uh, the original story I opened with. He was there. I saw him in the bar, the Queen's bar, and this had been now ten years. And I walked up. I just got my face way too close to him, and he goes, "What?" And I kind of put my hand on my chin, and he goes, "Who are you?" And I just didn't say a word and I didn't all of a sudden he goes, oh my God, you're the giant that picked me up off the floor. And I go, what's that mean? He goes, the way he's been telling the story is this six foot nine giant picked him up because I was so pumped full of adrenaline. And he tells it that the, and Tal Wilkenfeld and Vinnie Cagliuda told me this, that he says that the pants are hanging like a foot off of his toes. And it was like these clown pants are, you that's know, not what happened. So yeah. anyway, that's my Jeff Beck story.
1: Yeah.
3: So CJ, where can our listeners
0: learn more about you, find out what your current projects are, what you're up to? Just Google me and Facebook or Twitter, basically. I'm a little bit on Instagram, but not so much a show off on there. So I got to do a plug here. You know, we did his wonderful Derek Smalls project. My God, what a record we made. Right. Uh, Steve Vai, Joe Satriani, Rick Wakeman, Paul Schaefer, Dweezil Zappa, Steve Lukather, uh, David Crosby. I could keep going on. Right. There must be 10 more. And it just came out at the wrong time with the wrong manager. And he, you know who you are, by the way. <laughs> Listen to the Derek Smalls, Smalls Change record. I think you'll really get a kick out of it. It's brilliant. Well, thanks so much for this. This has been a, absolutely a, a ton of fun. Really, we could have gone on for hours more. Hey, it was a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. You know, you've got so many great guests and I've been the the witness to so much history here and it feels good to be able to share it with somebody because one of my goals here in life is I want to leave a lot of these stories behind. So this has given me an outlet to do it. So thank you.
2: One thing I kind of wished we would have asked CJ is if he had any regrets being and I mean this in a positive way, locked in with Spinal Tap for all these years. I know he feels grateful to be part of something bigger like Spinal Tap, and it's led to a lot of other opportunities, but he wouldn't be human if he didn't wonder if he couldn't could have done his own thing at some point. I mean, he's an enormously gifted guy. Just ask Prince.
3: Uh, I
2: wish we could ask Prince.
3: But with that aside, there's actually a great expression that I've heard. There's no darker place than the edge of the spotlight. And I think that uh, with CJ, it's kind of interesting, right? Because he has had a great career and he's been in a supporting role. There's a lot of longevity in a supporting role. And as he's case in point, huge artistic contributions when people like CJ are part of a creative project like Spinal Tap. And then let's think about the most famous example of this is, is the band, right? Who backed up Bob Dylan and then became legends in their own right.
2: Yeah. I You know, in my own experience, I know a lot of people in Brian Wilson's band and there's a pop band that's been consumed by Brian Wilson's band called Wonderments. They've had several really great albums on their own, but they are, you know, absolutely associated with Brian Wilson after being with them for probably 20 years. And the quintessential
3: example, which is different than the most famous example, <laughs> right, is the Wrecking Crew that was used on almost every hit record of the 60s and 70s. Few people outside the biz know musicians like Hal Blaine, and Carol Kay, and Tommy Tedesco, but they were the life behind I Got You, Babe by Sonny and Cher, Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys, Monday, Monday by the Mamas and Papas, and hundreds of others.
2: We have our own unsung hero on the staff here, and I'm getting all, I'm like getting all all verklempt, but Gretchen <laughs> Kilby is our producer.
3: I think we have our own wonderment, Alan. She keeps our breath smelling fresh on all of these podcasts.
2: And she's a a wrecking crew. She's a one-woman wrecking crew.
3: (laughs) I agree, Alan. We couldn't do this podcast without her. Thanks to C.J. Banston for sharing his Spinal Tap moments with Spinal Tap and from across his career with all of us. Need a refresher on the movie? This is Spinal Tap? Buy it now on Amazon Prime or Apple iTunes. Too Much Effing Perspective is a Milwaukee Talkies original. This episode is edited by Gretchen Kilby. Music by J.K. Harrison. Follow, rate, and review this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at TMEP Show, and visit our website at TMEPShow.com.
2: Although it would be as great as having armadillos in our trousers. This podcast is not affiliated with This is Spinal Tap and no person or entity connected with the film has sponsored or endorsed its content. This podcast is not affiliated, sponsored, or licensed by Authorized Spinal Tap LLC or Century of Progress Productions.
3: On behalf of Alan Keller and me, Alex Hoffman, thank you for listening. We're going to send you off with a song from my former band, The Vainglorious, called Remember My Name. See you next time. On too much effing perspective.
1: Would great acts of charity make you turn your head? Or crimes against humanity notice me instead? Or I could star in movies or walk on the moon, write the songs of love. Then make the young hearts soon What can I do To make you remember my name? Explorations and excursions To the North Pole or Tibet The kind that make the headlines Then could you forget? Or a cure for cancer is something I could find A medal from the president might keep me in your mind What can I do to make you remember my name? What can I do? of my name oh. than a man for you to remember who I am. Do I need to be more than a man? The songs of love that make the young hearts old. What can I do to make you remember my name? What can I do? What can I do to make you
4: headbangingly good time dive into the world of heavy metal with the brutally delicious podcast here we don't just talk music we welcome you into our heavy metal family join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars we go beyond the typical interviews exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal so whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious join our family and let the headbanging begin with the brutally delicious podcast
3: Evergreen Podcast Network.